throws it. Alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show, your twice-weekly look at the world of all things basketball. That's NBA, WNBA, women's college basketball, men's college basketball, the draft, a little bit of gambling, all kinds of great stuff here. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brennan Clean. Thanks again to our production team in the back end. Thanks again to the Just Sports team over at Just Baseball, specifically for getting us going here and having us part of their team. If you haven't already, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars only. Okay? Five stars, reviews only. And please hit subscribe on the Just Basketball Fans YouTube channel as well. And I want to tell you about one of our great partners, Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a player prop DFS platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players across multiple sports, including the NBA and the NFL. Sign up today with our code JUSTBASKETBALL, all caps, all one word, and Thrive will match your first deposit of $250. And dare I say, $250 is a first deposit match. That's pretty great. You're not going to get a better offer out there than that. But Brendan... Happy Sunday to you, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Chelsea Football Club drew Manchester City Football Club, which was a great start to my Sunday. I'm also seeing the Oklahoma City Thunder in person tonight, and Mm. I don't know if I've been more excited for a basketball game yet. Devin Booker, unlikely to play for the Phoenix Suns, but that's okay. I think the Thunder might just bludgeon Phoenix, and I'm here for it, even though it might hurt my soul a little bit. It should be a fun game. Yeah, in person, Thunder was even. I didn't get them. The Cavs is full strength against them, but uh, seeing Chad in person and seeing Shea and seeing Giddy at this stage, it's fun. And they look, they feel very big in person. I, I will say this before we get to today's loaded show: if you can, and you're in a place or can maybe afford to travel somewhere, if you're not, to go see teams that you want to see in person, and you love basketball, it's. Nine out of ten times, I would say it's worth it. Big in-person attendance guy. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, people that maybe have listened to the show a bunch. I built a whole New York trip in part around Liberty Aces because I was like, I want to see this. Like, this is worth the time. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen but I w- because the, the secondary market on those tickets is already insane. But I was planning a Columbus, Ohio trip, which is like a two-hour drive for me from, from Cleveland to see Caitlin Clark in person and i might just take like, Did you watch her the other night or see any of the highlights uh, 42 the and highlights. it was just like nothing Let, let's just burn this isn't on our outline but i just want to like hit the start of this women's college basketball season a little bit yeah we're we're, we're in for a treat we're, we're in we're just in this is going to be an amazing season I think. I think on all fronts with Caitlin Clark and whether this is her last college season or not, Paige Beckers and us learning how much it means for her to be back. Some of the quotes she's had about getting yelled at by Gino have just like made me smirk a little bit because that's how you know you're a real sicko is when you're excited to get yelled at by your coach again. Georgia Moore out here cooking, just doing amazing yeah. stuff, picking up where she left off in the tournament. And then it's like, oh, right, LSU added Haley Van Lith and they have Angel Reese and that team is great. Like, this is going to be an amazing I mean, women's college I think the season. story of this women's college basketball season, even bigger than any of the things you just said, in terms of we like newness, is Juju Watkins at USC. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
had she coach, is coach she is former NBA assistant former uh she was at was she it was she was at where she, where Lindy Godley at before USC the Kings Cal she was like no she was at Cal she was with oh, she was oh. with Cleveland she was yeah with the she also I got what you're saying yes yeah she was at Cal comes back to college and seemingly is building a really impressive program at USC she was yeah, very she, well thought of in the NBA too like very very highly talked about as a potential head coach potential front office person and it speaks to maybe her ambitions or or something i don't know exactly what but it, there's something really interesting about her going back to college when she had another path i think in front of her if she wanted it i mean you're pretending like she was going to be an nba head coach which unfortunately I, can of worms there probably not so she was on we're the seeing a lot list, of is all she was on the art of its list is all i'm gonna say and yeah that tell that to all the people who have left you know okay, it's uh sure, it's a sure, different sure. it's a different conversation but i mean i think juju she scored 32 in her opener and she has a brand of basketball and and flavor to her personality and all this stuff as a freshman that feels incredibly ready to handle whatever spotlight she is about to get doesn't hurt to play in uh los angeles california of course so it's going to be a great season, but um, I, I'm very excited to talk with you about the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes. And I, I, think, I think it's time. Okay. I think it's time to have a hard conversation about Milwaukee. All right. So here we're, we're going to do, let's move on to our next segment, which is what matters more right regularly here on the show. One of our segments is what matters more. So we're going to, I'm going to list out some topics and we're going to talk through the ones that really matter, talk through the ones that maybe actually matter most. We're going to say what matters more. We have five today. Normally we have three, but we have five today. A couple injury related uh, Lakers starting decision, all that stuff. Number one, you alluded to it already. I think this will be our winner, but Bucks had now two straight losses. Dame has now missed has missed two games in a row, and the offense is a little wonky to say the least. Tyler Hero is out probably quote unquote a couple weeks with a sprained ankle. Cam Thomas, one of the the shooting surging stars of the early NBA season out of nowhere, is going to be out two weeks with a sprained ankle as well. Chris Paul is five of thirty three from deep to start the season for a Warriors team that I think has looked pretty good and I there's a there's a conversation to be had about them I think at some point about what they are but he has not exactly lit it up in that capacity for them and then the Lakers have moved Austin Reeves to the bench and Cam Reddish is starting for the Lakers um, a move that uh, we'll see if it holds and I'm still yeah. a big Cam Reddish skeptic but there it is, Brendan. I think the, the answer here has. Does to that be make us, you, right? Chris, a so-called analyst or whatever, LeBron? Did you see the quote about I did people not. who I, doubt I, Cam Reddish? So, so I, I was I was, I was at tied this up game. In, yeah. Okay, so I was tied up in things a weekend. I've like had some catch up. I actually caught the Juju Florida Gulf Coast highlights before I caught like NBA, NBA stuff. Yeah. So LeBron finds reddish multiple times in the fourth quarter late i believe cam finished with five made threes and on the final possession of the game the lakers got three offensive rebounds lebron finally just says f it i'm i'm giving it to him in the corner because the the suns just decided we're literally gonna plant yusuf nurkic in the at the basket rather than have him guard the corner where reddish is and lebron made the right play as he always does coming off of a game in which he found reddish in the corner against the miami heat and reddish missed in this case late game situation reddish made that shot and lebron in his post game interview 
criticized, chastised all these so-called analysts who he says don't know what they're talking about. And that Cam Reddish has, has, uh, has earned his trust. It's funny to me that up until this point, nobody would have said that about Cam Reddish, but somehow LeBron is very confident in that. You know, maybe the agency that represents Cam Reddish might have something to do with why he is talking that particular player up more than others, but so be it. I don't know if it holds, so that's part of why I'm not going to pick that one. I think the Chris Paul thing is worth some discussion, though, because you saw the Warriors this week. What do you think of that second unit? Because the part of this that jumped out to me, Chris, is the Warriors are... This stat might have been before their most recent game, but plus 13 per 100 possessions with Steph off the court so far this year. And small sample caveat, of course, but that has been their huge bugaboo for two years now, even when they did win the title. And Chris Paul is a big reason why they've been able to weather that storm and actually in this very early season benchmark play better somehow statistically when Steph is not out there. I think the pieces of that second unit really fit is what is really working for that, right? I think Kaminga has been, I think, pretty impressive and is making shots, is adding a nice little wrinkle. I think Moses Moody is filling his role really nicely. So I think that they're actually just getting good production out of pieces that just kind of needed to play better, and it's kind of solving some of the issue. It's not going to... Plus 13 is not something I expect to... I expect that to be closer to even when you get down to brass hacks into the year. I just don't think those guys... There's still something lacking as far as a creator type on that second unit. Chris Paul is obviously going to be amazing, and I think he works in that second unit in part because he's willing to set guys up, and he still sometimes is looking for the patented Chris Paul things, like the little... The little elbow fadeaway, the, the the maybe getting some free throws out of stuff, just being doing Chris Paul shit. But they don't like need him necessarily to really just kind of rein in the three. It's like an added bonus to what that second unit to me feels like because they're getting guys that are actually just kind of evolving and playing into their roles a little bit in a way, and particularly with Kaminga. So I I think it's I think that obviously that five of thirty three is a concern. That's going to be a liability if that's the kind of run he has when they get to the playoffs. Like, they're going to need him to hit more threes than that when you get to the playoffs. But this three-point shooting is also just probably the most cyclical up-and-down thing we have in basketball. It is inherently volatile compared to basically another spot on the floor. So I kind of just expect this to even out in some way, if I'm being honest. And I like the look of that Warriors second unit quite a bit, even with Chris Ball struggling. Yeah, it's struggling also relative to your point. Like, he's setting other players up. I think if you're saying Kuminga and others have been better, that's a big part of big part of that is Chris Paul and the impact that he has always had. I think uh, the mid-range shooting is about equal to what it was last year, but that is also down from his peak. You know, in the year that the Suns went to the finals, he was at 53%. The year after that, when they won 65, 64 games, he was at 55%. Now he's down below 50 the past couple of years, and it just makes him less scary. I don't feel good about him being in that closing lineup in a lot of matchups. I think the fact that Kaminga has, has improved, the fact that Moody has improved, we'll see if Wiggins can get back on track. I think maybe you're looking at some combination of those three with the three stars on this team of, of Steph Clay and Draymond to finish things out late in games in the playoffs and, and beyond. But uh, I think Chris has been 
as positive of an influence as you could hope for. And that team is competitive and, and solid in large part because of him. That said, Chris, maybe the Bucks yeah. is the answer. Yeah. The hero, like, just to hit on the other ones quickly. The Lakers mm-hmm. thing, I agree with you. It's not going to hold. Cam Thomas will be back. I don't think that Nets team is actually that great. He might have just been a hot streak to start the season. I don't know if that was a sign that Cam Thomas is suddenly like a 25-a-game guy, right? I don't know if that's Okay, but hold on. I think you're understating it. I don't think he's a 25-point-per-game guy, but I also think he's scored like this anytime he's ever gotten minutes in the NBA. What holds him back is the defense. So the team can be mediocre, and his breakout can also be real as a scorer. That's true, and it's also... When he did this against the Cavs, one of the things I was telling, because I think that was the that was the first game of the year, and he went off. Jacques Vaughn just kind of trusted him in a way that, like, you maybe, like he he played well enough where Jacques Vaughn was willing to just trust him for everything. So maybe there is more to that than I'm saying. There trusts him, or there's not another option because I think like he still feels maybe the effort is there on defense, but it, it feels sort of Trey Youngish to me, where it's like I, you know where to be. Your mistakes aren't so egregious that we're going to bench you for it because you you know the tricks of how to look like you're playing hard on defense a little you know you're going to swipe at the ball you're going to run around with it like a chicken with its head off you're going to kind of buzz around but you're making a lot of mistakes out there but this year they're not trying to win and they need ball handling so it sort of feels like everybody's just at peace with it but i do think he's his scoring is legit he makes pull-up jumpers he has a floater he's quick he can he has good body control he has a low center of gravity and is a physical dude he's one of these small ball handlers who is kind of figuring out a way in this modern nba to still get buckets cole anthony tyrese maxi i think cam thomas belongs in that i think that part's real and i think they will be much worse on offense with him off the court for the next couple weeks I'm going to go just glass half full on trust is what I'm going to say. I'm looking optimistic about Jock Vaughn and, and the game time is five there. That's why, that's why I think why I say trust more than no other options. Mm-hmm. Although the Ben Simmons thing is already just kind of like teetering. <laughs> little, little tough. Uh, Hero, look, he's obviously very important to the Heat in the regular season context, but he'll be back. This is kind of the same thing we talked about with De'Aaron Fox and Jamal Murray. It's If you're going to have a guy miss a couple weeks and miss some time and your team not be fully healthy – Maybe you just get that bad injury luck now and you could be healthy for December and for January and for the whole part of the season that matters. The Bucks. This is where we need to go. Well, Miami, real quick. Yeah. Something to watch. The Haywood Haywood Highsmith breakout is upon us. It's yes. time. He's starting. He started the year hurt. That's the thing to watch with Miami. They're gonna score like eighty four points a game for the next couple of weeks. It's gonna be bleak, but Geek out about defense and watch the next who the hell is that star break out for Miami. And hope Caleb Martin gets back out there soon because it's been a bummer that he's been out too. Yeah, he uh, at least the other day were undefeated with Haywood Highsmith, the starting lineup, which is like... The numbers haven't charted yet because he hasn't played enough, but they've been like plus 20 per 100 possessions in like 100 minutes, 100 and something minutes so far with him out there. Like, he's good. Played well in the playoffs last year. Like it's it's pretty legit. Uh, he's not going to score a bunch, but he's a real player. Yes. All right. The Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Brendan, scale of one to ten, how nervous are you about where the Bucks are at right now and, and how they've looked? Can I give you some I numbers? Am, I guess as you think about that, do you want numbers? Yes. Give everybody the numbers. Okay. 
20 this is according to clean in the glass 21st in net rating minus 4.7 per 100 possessions 16th in offense 112.8 25th in defense giving up 117.4 they are brendan the worst team in the league against the spread like for whatever that is worth they are 30th in the league in that and in terms of win difference so what is the difference clean the glass has a, a, a number in there which is win differential, which is what's the difference between the number of games the team has won and what would be expected based on their efficiency differential. They are number one in having, like, this is very early. Bad luck. games for them. Bad luck. They no, are no, losing no, no. games no, they should win. No, opposite. They're winning more they're games than they should outperforming? They're out, they have, yeah, okay. win differential okay. is like, they're, they're, they're at 1.7 wins extra than they okay. should based on their net rating so far. So they have almost two full wins like got it. This is a, this is a five and four team that is above five hundred right now. That is realistically more. They should of have like, won three games. They're like a they're a three and six team based on the numbers. Yes. This is not where the buck should be. This is not with Giannis, with getting Dame, with Chris Middleton being back, with even with some concerns. And we should probably talk about Malik Beasley and what the what the fuck is going on there. This is not a team that should be this. There's no world where things should feel like this. We shouldn't be having the, the via Chris Haynes, Dame and Giannis are hanging out and watching tape together stories like before game 10 of the regular season. Is Chris Middleton back? They don't seem to feel like they can trust him to be back. And I think that's a big part of what's going on. The He's playing 19 good. minutes a game, and they're 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 capping that really aggressively to the point where I don't think it's helping anything. I mean, it might be helping him maintain his cardio and and presence around the group, and you know, be able to develop some habits on them in the minutes that he's playing, but. That has to be sort of 1A and what you're looking at and why things have not gone according to plan because they're a thin team. Somebody like Grayson Allen, who they traded away in the in the Dame trade or, you know, uh, any number of guys that they've had to kind of lose over the years for salary reasons would, would be very valuable to them right now. And when you can't play Middleton as much as you might want to and Dame is not performing, uh, not healthy right now either, you you're just you're you're playing campaign a lot you're playing Malik Beasley a lot um this year so far they are allowing the fourth fewest shots at the basket which is normal for them but teams are really finishing pretty well they're bottom 10 in terms of how much they're allowing and that that stat has been the one that people have kind of bookmarked all year we talked about their offense a little bit last week I think the it's hard to expand upon that now because the Lillard Giannis two-man game stuff that people wanted to see hasn't been possible with Dame sidelined but I think I'm at like a seven or an eight and the place that I was going to go with my worry level is I don't feel like this has been a great first month for Adrian Griffin I I hate to make stuff about coaching I feel like it's very reductive and we know five percent of what goes on between a coach and his staff a coach and his players a coach and the adjustments he can make wants to make versus what is executed on the court it's it's almost entirely unknowable but when you go back to what happened with Terry Stotts some of the comments about their defensive scheme the completely disorganized offense that they're running a lot of the time and a couple now bad losses that you 
can explain away with Lillard being gone, but it is still the Pacers and the Magic. And they're just teams you should beat. And so I'm pretty worried because it's not just the losing. It's the fact that there are elemental things about what this team has made itself so far this season that I don't see a way around that aren't going to take significant adjustments in time and energy. Here are two things I would say that I would say just to be optimistic for a minute that I would say maybe some of this normalizes and then you you get a better return in some of this stuff. Number one, Damian Lillard is, is it shooting starting Pat Connaughton. Well, we're gonna, Pat Connaughton's about to come up. He's, he's there's a there's a number Great. for him that I'm I'm eyeing that I'm like okay this this can't hold or otherwise like they're if this doesn't just normalize for him this is the problem. Number one, Damian Lillard on eight point three three attempts per game is at twenty nine point three percent. Damian Lillard is not a sub thirty percent three point shooter. He's not. That that's not going to be like his number. He's closer upper thirties, close to forty. Okay, number two. Pat Connaughton is at on basically three attempts per game, twenty six point nine percent from three. That's not yeah, a not number well. that. They're not shooting well, but it's those two guys in particular. Jay Crowder is shooting out of his mind from three. Malik Beasley is shooting nearly forty percent from three. Brooke Lopez at thirty five percent from three on good volume second highest volume on the team Marshawn Bochamp 42.9 percent from three but you have yeah, he's the two been out guys he's out of his mind but you have these two campaigns at 54.5 percent but you have the two guys that are kind of your big spacers off Giannis I would define like it's not a role Connaughton is perfectly fit for but he's kind of like the wing spacer on this team in some ways and he's shooting under 30 percent Dame is one of the best volume three-point shooters we have in the NBA, and he's under 30% right now, and he's a little bit banged up, and he's 33. So, like, maybe there's just some weirdness. Again, it's volatile. Some of this, I think, gets fixed if some of those guys just make more shots. It is that simple. But the coaching thing is, to me, maybe the biggest concern, and maybe something we didn't talk about enough in the preseason, Brendan, because... There is an adjustment to being an NBA head coach. There just is. You could be a really well-respected assistant. You could be around the game for as long as Adrian Griffin has. But once you're in that chair, once you're that man in the arena, there is a difference. There just is an adjustment. Ty Lue has talked about this. Spolster's talked about this. Kerr went through growing pains. All of these guys go through real growing pains. We saw Darvin Ham in the span of a season go from being kind of really shaky to, I thought, really quitting himself well more towards the end of the year than he did towards the beginning of his of his first year with the Lakers, right? So there just is a learning curve, but it's not the it it the learning curve looks steeper when you're making a some very just basic mistakes. When you have the quotes that you have, you have the Terry Stotts thing. There's just like a lot of noise in this that is making that to me look like the alarm bell that I want to ring. On top of, I mean, like I, I, I Brendan, I've watched the clip of Malik Beasley just like, just planting his feet in Tyrese Halliburton dribbling by him like a hundred times because I've never seen an NBA player do that. I've never in my life. But that speaks seen to that. another one of the. The the Which, boneheaded he could, comments because he's that well, I because think, he said he's gonna he's gonna be our primary defender guy and it's like that's not what Malik Beasley is and I understand maybe you're trying to challenge a guy I, that happens but it's an insane thing to do if you've watched Malik Beasley play basketball before 
he's like 30, you know, and it's never been what he is. I, I don't know his exact age. He is a veteran in the NBA, and we know that's not Malik Beasley's role. So, yeah, I mean, they're shooting 20. They're 20th in the NBA in three-point percentage, 21st. Um, maybe that evens out. But the defense is, is the biggest issue, even if you would expect the offense to be better. The, the blueprint for the Milwaukee Bucks is for the offense to be better than it has been in years past and for the defense to get worse without getting so bad that it holds them back. That's what we knew this season was going to be about. And there are just obvious things that they can be doing, whether that is lineup changes, matchup changes, and whatever. They already seem to be adjusting out of whatever they were having Brooke Lopez do, pretending like he's Evan Mobley defensively. That's good. But... (laughs) Comments like what he said about Brooke Lopez, what he has said about Malik Beasley now, and the Terry Stotts thing and his kind of mums the word attitude about that. Not that he needs to share the dirty laundry of a situation like that, but it's a lot for one head coach to have already piled up one month into his NBA, three weeks into his tenure leading a franchise. It's not great, especially one with this much pressure on it and this much commitment and low-key makes me feel like Mike Budenholzer was doing a half-decent job holding things together in terms of maximizing somebody like Brooke Lopez, keeping Giannis in check from an offensive style and shot selection standpoint. There are just some things about this roster and personnel where it's like, Maybe Bud was not doing such a half-bad job getting the most out of these different elements. And it's a different roster now. There are different things that they can do, starting with playing Lillard and and Giannis together more effectively on offense and some rotation changes that are obvious. But I don't feel like we're seeing what Griffin was supposed to do, which is to take this team to the next level. And that's why you fire a a multiple-time coach of the year and a guy who won 50 to 60 games every single season for you. And, And that's... Not happening. So who, who I am in a little bit of panic your, mode. Who was your coach on the? Who was the coach on a championship team? Yeah, like yeah, they, championship they winning teams. coach of the year, one of the most respected dudes in the in the history of the NBA. If you go back to his Spurs days, like you make that change, feeling pretty damn good that something good will come out of it, and it's the opposite right now. Here's my to answer my own question. Scale of one to ten, I'm going to go with seven. It would be higher if I didn't feel like they were very simple lovers that they could just adjust to that would kind of make some of this work and then you just get some more normal three-point shooting and then maybe things get better. I also I was at a wedding on Saturday and one of the other groomsmen was is a Bucks fan and he we talked about the Bucks for a little bit. He he was very optimistic, had some rose-colored glasses on for sure, but like some of his points I think are very salient and it makes some sense. Just and it's the things we've talked about. It's can you get Dame and Giannis playing more just optimal football for what they are? Can you? You just said football. We're we're talking about basketball. If they were playing football, that would be an insane change. And I think Adrian Griffin might get fired. That's true. If they're playing basketball, it just makes more sense. And they're running pick and roll with Giannis. And Giannis, and to quote this groomsman to paraphrase him, just like sets screens. 
like some of this just gets like a lot easier and I don't know how you guard that. I, I generally don't understand if Damian Lillard is the is the ball handler and Giannis is the roller and you have enough spacing around them, that's as simple and as unguardable as you can structurally get as far as designing an NBA offense around those two guys and among the best combinations you can have. Like that is the whole promise of that trade. You know this, Brendan. I know this. Everyone knows this. But the fact that like the, I, my alarm and the reason it's at a seven despite just some assumptions that things will get better. Those feel like levers you should be pulling on day one of training camp. That's really well, where my, you know, they made the trade late, but yeah, sure. But like, but if, if you're saying you make the trade late, what's the first thing we can do to get chemistry between Dame and Giannis and get this team going on the right foot? Wouldn't it be running those two guys in a bunch of pick and roll, even with the Middleton stuff, even with Chris Middleton, not playing a ton of minutes yet. And, I don't think there's been a ton of reporting about like how the scale of process for him is going to work. And I'm sure that's hard to work around as a coach as well. I'm sure that's not the Well, there's not thing. reporting because Adrian Griffin is the coyest of coy every time it comes up. Sure, but like even like behind the scenes like we haven't gotten that like TikTok kind of beat by beat on kind of his plan that sometimes you could get with some of this stuff that just hasn't come out yet for whatever reason that hasn't been reported out for whatever reason like there's just information we don't know about that specific thing that also raises my alarm bell because chris middleton is an older guy it's not like chris middleton's 27 and you're just like okay this is just like he's come they've played a lot of games the last couple years he needed time just to get back this is a guy that is 33 that is in a weird position in his career that that like there's a lot of there's concern just based on his age and based on the injuries that to me and just like wondering what that even looks like and us not knowing what that is to me probably is the biggest alarm bell just because I can't I can't prognosticate Brendan and I can I can tell you in two weeks I could you could see the Damon Yana stuff get better just because it makes too much sense not to I look at the that the Middleton part of it and I think I don't know what that is I have no idea what that is Yeah, I mean, it's... And they need him. They need him. Of course they need him. I think, yeah, he fixes some of the offense. He does not fix the defense. I think Crowder or Connaughton starting has to happen over Malik Beasley. And that gets them probably back to they're not in the news anymore. They're not being talked about. They just are looking like a normal basketball team. It is not an emergency. It is not, you know, did the trade, was the trade a mistake and whatever kind of stuff's going to start happening on national television about them if they keep losing. But uh, I don't think even what we're talking about, I look forward and say, I'll think of them as a championship contender once they check those boxes. I, I think there's some pretty worrisome factors uh, on both ends of are they going to be that? Uh, and we'll see. All right. Here's the last thing. Well, then we got to move on to our next segment. Would yes or no, true or false, however you want to phrase it, would you feel a little bit differently about this if there wasn't this world where the Boston Celtics have come out and looked as awesome as they had this earth year. And if those were the two teams you're looking at as the best two teams in the East, Boston has looked awesome. And the Bucks have not, if the, if the, the Celtics had also struggled and it just felt like early season malaise for both teams, would we, would you feel any differently about where the Bucks are at? Or is it just that you're taking the Bucks for what they are? It definitely doesn't have to do with Boston. Cause I, I think whatever awesomeness they looked like kind of went away the past week or so they sure. lost to Philly. They lost to Minnesota. They lost, they beat Toronto, but um, you know, whatever. I think 
it's just Milwaukee having concerns. I mean, they could easily come back and win the win the East. I, it's it's really just in a vacuum. They have such flaws right now with how they're playing, how they're operating, and whatever their future might look like. I'm still very. Uh, I come away just very impressed every time I watch Boston for what it's worth, and I think that to me feels like there's a bigger gap than I expected. Is where I am through nine games for both teams, which is not where I expected to be. To be very frank about, it. I think I, I mean I think I picked the Bucks to win the East, so I did pick the Bucks to win the East. So, here we are. All right, real or not, this is a segment we're going to go kind of go a little more rapid fire through different topics, and we're going to say if they are real or not. Some of these we will definitely be coming back to in longer segments. There's one in particular that I think is worth a bigger discussion about where in, in this guy's overall draft class. So we're going to dive into that here. First up, the Minnesota Timberwolves, Brendan. Are they really this good? The best defense, second in net, average offense. Are they really a team that is this lead on defense, this good overall, and is and has just like an okay offense, but really looks this good based on the numbers and based on how good this defense is? Is that real or not? I think it's real because we've been optimistic about them for a while, and I would even personally say me a little more than you maybe um yeah you i were. think you, that you, well you were you were a go bear trade truther you were like on the corner of like the rudy go bear trade was actually not a disaster you're like the one person i know that believes that i'm the only person that thinks rudy Gobert is good at basketball because that's been my only point is that he is somebody who can be on a good team <laughs> I don't think That's I'm the only thing. person, um, but a, a, whatever, I'll own it. We need we need a graphic for that, and we're just going to like spam it. We're going to geotag ads in the state of Utah and just get a lot of Utah people like really in, enraged because they're like, we were yelling about screen assists for years. Yeah. He won the Defensive Player of the Year award, I believe, three times. I know. I know he this is This is good. not it's like, just... I'm not sitting here yelling about like Josh Minot. It's Rudy Gobert. Wow. <laughs> All-star. Look, look the, the Gobert thing is just, he is, he, and... For whatever reason, he is the most like no one thinks he's good, good basketball player that has ever existed. Like straight up. There's no one that like actually I think like that's just what it is. Okay, continue. Keep talking. I'm not talking to the mob, Chris. I'm talking to you. Did you think Rudy Gobert was hopeless and dead as a basketball player? No, and and I do think there's a point where you get to with the Wolves where, yes, I think they overpaid for Gobert. But you kind of just have to at some point be like, this is what the team is. And you can't like shade what they are in the moment by thinking that they made a mistake like however many summers ago and making that trade in the first place. Yeah, so they are yeah 17th in offense. They remain first in the NBA in defense. Their offense has been held back a little bit by turning the ball over a lot, which is something that I always tend to think can get better. It's not to say that it will, but, you know, somebody like Ant, who you just expect to continue to improve year by year, and maybe they get some of the backup offense situation figured out and and whatever. As far as the defense goes, I see no reason to believe that it won't be pretty solid. The reason that I think I actually feel better maybe about the cat fit as playing the four the longer that we watch it or the more that i think about it or the more the league just changes from even a year and a half ago when they made the trade i feel like a big part of why i was so worried about it originally is i saw them together pre-cat trade last season at home against the suns around this time last year and the suns embarrassed that team because who did they have playing the four at the beginning of last season? Cam Johnson. 
Mm-hmm. What is Cam Johnson great at? What is Chris Paul and Cam Johnson as a tandem great at? They're going to run pretty sophisticated movement shooting sets where Cam Johnson is going to turn Carl Anthony Towns into a puddle of goop on the basketball court, trying to keep up with him and fight through screens and move his feet. But how many teams play like that anymore? Not a lot. There are not a lot of teams. Golden State, where Chris Paul now plays, is one of those. I would imagine when we see Minnesota Golden State, things might look a little ugly for uh, for Mr. Towns. But there's not a lot of teams that execute you into oblivion in the half court. And one of the ones that does is Denver. But they've developed a pretty solid recipe against Denver because Jokic is their best player in their hub where they're going to put Cat on ta- uh, on. Jokic or they're going to have Gobert defending quote-unquote Aaron Gordon. There just aren't a lot of teams that are really going to punish them for what Cat is bad at having to play the four. And whether it's the Boston game where they were mixing and matching uh, assignments or it's, you know, again, that Denver matchup or just bad teams that aren't going to be able to punish it in general. I think that it's survivable. Gobert has looked better. The numbers show that. And then offensively, if Ant, who we did talk about last week, can continue to make jumpers, keep his turnovers low, and improve as a playmaker, if that development continues and he really starts to show like MVP caliber type of stuff this season, that was always the blueprint, right? And so, yeah, maybe it's hitting a little better than I expected, but it's not out of the realm of possibility from what we would have projected going into the season. So I buy it a hundred percent. Now I don't think they're better than a lot of these West teams. I think saying they'll get home court or some of this stuff feels a little bit out in front of our skis. Um, but I think if you're asking me, are they good? Are they going to be competitive? Could they win a playoff series? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think if you just throw in everything you said and you throw ants on top of that is the cherry on top of the Sunday. You're in a really good spot. I am still just laughing at you, how you're, you're great with words, Brendan. I, I just giggle that you referring to Carl and the towns are getting turned into a pile of goop. I'm just going to be thinking about that one for a while. It's like, what happens when your ankles break so many times that <laughs> they just sit you're yeah, just, just on the ground? Cam There's Thomas no getting up. Like the, he got snapped into to, to dust. That's just what happened. All right, next one. I'm very in agreement with you, by the way. I just I think it's I think it's real. I don't know if the defense is really gonna hold as like the best in the league, but can it be a top six unit and the offense gets a little better if they turn the ball over less? I think that's that's the rest. I mean, just think about how many good defensive players they have one on one. That's not always the best way to do this, but Ant, McDaniels, Nikhil Alexander Walker, Kyle Anderson, Rudy Gobert. It's like you just start to add it up, and Mike Conley, pretty good at the point of attack, knows what he's doing, even if he's undersized and a little older now. Like, it, the talent has to add up at a certain point, and I just think it, it, you're seeing that already. If they can stay healthy and get enough out of the offense, I think they'll be right there all year. All right, Houston up next. They have the fourth-ranked defense in the league. Uh, Brendan, I'm going to tell you straight up, I don't – Totally buy this. They also are eighth now. I, I had that note too early. They're down to eighth. Why don't you buy it? Well, they're they're fifth, they're fifth in, at cleaning the glass. Fifth. Factoring out garbage, fifth, factoring out garbage time, they are fifth at cleaning the glass. So one hundred seven point okay. seven. They're point one behind the fourth place Knicks and point two behind the third place Orlando Magic. 
Here's why I don't buy it. This is still a really young team. Even with adding Dylan Brooks, even with adding some of the guys, there's still a lot of young pieces they're banking on and that are going to have growing pains. And Alperin Sengun is your center. I like Sengun. I think he's tons of fun. I think that guy has the potential to be just a really, really awesome, fun, big offensive hub for you for a long time. You can do some really cool stuff with. But I don't think he's ever going to be more than like an averageish defender, and it's hard to build a defense that is going to remain top five in the league for the entire. Even if, unless Ime Udoka is just like a wizard and like he was, he knows what he's doing then, and that's possible. I just think structurally this roster is not built to hold up as a top five defense for this entire season. So I, I think it could be like a better than I expected defense, but top five for the whole year feels very ambitious to me. I think Shengun's way better than you're giving him credit for at this point. He grew two inches, as everybody now knows. I think that he is a very smart and savvy defender. I think that he uses his hands and verticality as a rim protector better than somebody like Sabonis or Jokic, who are the guys that he gets compared to. When you just add up the fact that he's younger and has more likelihood to improve than either of those two dudes does, I think he is a little bit of a better athlete than either one in terms of, you know, explosive leaping and, and kind of horizontal movement and stuff like that. And um, the growth and everything else, like I, I do buy that he's better than we thought. I think it, I, I'm ready to change my analysis of, of what he is as a player. Um, he is allowing only 53% of shots to go in as a within six feet when he's the closest defender. That's very, very, very good. That is, um, I believe, almost 12 percentage points better than what Houston allows overall or what the other defenders on the court allow. And the defense has been four points better per 100 possessions when he's out there. So this is not a case of Jeff Green comes in, they get a little switchier or, you know, Jock Landale earlier in the season comes in and things lock down. This is their starting unit with Alperin Shengun out there has been good defensively. He's protecting the rim better, forcing turnovers, all that stuff. I just don't necessarily see a hole in that right now. And then when you add in Fred Van Vliet at the point of attack, Dylan Brooks, who's just been, I mean, like, if you were to pick all-star teams right now, Dylan Brooks would get written up in some of these columns when these media guys pick their teams. He's shooting the lights out. And what this team did to the New Orleans Pelicans the other night, Chris, down the stretch with Shengun and Brooks, primarily being the two guys to get those stops and, and really smother the opposing offense. I just, I, it really showed me a lot. And so I buy the defense. They right now are are not forcing a lot of turnovers, I believe is, is maybe the one hole that you would uh, pick in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess they're seventh. I, I had that wrong. Um, these numbers change so often that you look at it one day and it's different. So, Maybe teams just really start to pick at Shengun in a way that early in the season they haven't, and he doesn't look so good. Maybe the young guys do make mistakes, but they've insulated these guys pretty well. I mean, the three most involved players on a night-to-night basis are, you know, Van Vliet, Shengun, and and Jalen Green, and then Brooks kind of behind that. Like, that's one young guy who you're really relying on in the biggest possible way. I don't see, like, a huge floor to fall out from underneath of them. These guys have really impressed me, and I think that they could chase a play-in spot. I I really buy it. I I buy that part of it. 
I think like what they've done, I think like they, the money has gotten them some kind of return. I just th- top five is where I'm I'm drawing. I'm not saying they can't be a top ten. I think if we're looking, if the standard is their fifth right now, and this is one of the best defenses in the entire league, that is where my trepidation. If I'm picking nits on it, I just think over the course of a season, this is the uh, Cleveland Glass has them right now as the team with the fifth best point differential. Like I just, there's they're gonna come back to earth in some capacity. This is not a team. okay. If they fall from fifth defense to 10th defense they're still going to be top 10 in net rating and as long as you buy the offense do you buy the offense i need Kim, let's come back to that next week because i need to dial in on their offense a little bit more this is one of the teams that i've like now earmarked i feel like i need to watch a little bit more of i've had a, i feel like i've watched more of some defensive clips from them um than i have some of the offensive stuff and i really jalen green just remains a very big point of fascination to me and i feel like i need to give him like 30 minutes of my time to an hour of my time just to like watch everything he's done this year and think about it all right indiana's offense answer? that's an acceptable answer indiana's offense is number one in the nba by a half a point per hundred possessions so pretty significantly ahead of the pack here real or not real I kind of lean that this is real. The formula is just there for this to just be like an offense that works and functions. Rick Carlisle, as we've known for a long time, is one of the best offensive coaches we have in the league. Tyrese Halliburton is absolutely killing it this year. Um, he's he's got an assist percentage, Brandon, the forty-seven point nine percent. He's got an assist to turnover, assist to usage ratio of one point five five. He's turning the ball over like at a pretty like for at a percentage that is like a better than you I think one at the usage he's at Aaron Eastmith is getting the giving them good minutes Buddy Heald is giving them good minutes Toppin's finding little roles here and there I think Miles Turner has been pretty darn good to start the year they're getting good minutes out of just about everyone they're throwing out there it's without even having to like like McConnell's not really playing for them I the Spurs should just like trade for him they're getting just the a lot out of there trade for him Yes, a lot of teams should just trade for him. But you look at Halliburton, you look at Carl, I look at the structure of what they're doing with their personnel. I think this is going to be one of the best offenses we have in the league for the entire season. Like it is a big, it is a now, is it a big jump from last year? Yeah, like this is a seven point. It's over seven points better per hundred possessions than it was last year. That's a big jump. But I just buy the personnel. I buy Halliburton as a league creator. I buy the structure of what Rick Carlisle is doing there. Um, so I'm, I'm in on this Pacers offense. Yeah, I think it's real because why would it not be? I mean, this team is, we, we already know it's one of the best offenses in the NBA. Yes, on the whole last season, you know, they finished the year 21st, but we know that when Halliburton was out there, they scored at an elite mark. Their record proved that when he was healthy, they were uh, at least a 500, if not better team, if my memory serves me. And they show no signs of, of why that would would change. I think the fact that they've gotten that they've survived the, I don't want to call it an experiment, but the risk of we're starting Ben Matherin and, Mm -hmm. you know, he hasn't had like the most excellent start to the season necessarily, not some sort of huge breakout. And they're still doing this, you know, and somebody like they don't fully know who they want their backup center to be. And and now it seems like Jalen Smith is, is starting to, lock that down and everything else. I just feel like they seem legit 
What what were you? You don't like oh, Jalen Smith? Uh, no, I, I giggle every time. I When I've seen Jalen Smith this year, when the Cavs play the Pacers twice, I've had a conversation both games with someone about how the Suns just like declined his like fourth-year option. Like it's just like come. I'm just like I think about this more than if you think that's funny. Let me tell you where they drafted him. Oh, uh, Brendan, I'm fully aware. I'm fully aware, and I think about you. I, that's I, much I funnier at, than canceling the the option because he wasn't playing. Yeah. So it's yeah, but it's I, just like but, egg on the face. But the fact that they took him over Tyrese Halliburton, who now is his <laughs> teammate, is really the travesty there. Yeah, I just look at him and I think I honestly think of you a little bit. I just that's I just like wow, like what a what a thing. But like like all the guys that they're playing are like. They're filling a role. Like, every single one of them that they're putting out there is playing a role. And Aaron Neesmith, like, just looks like a real NBA player, which he's like, he wasn't in Boston, and then he's developed into then Indiana. And, like, that's awesome. That is a guy they can just, like, roll with. That's been a pretty incredible outcome for them. All right. Wizards offense. Currently, uh, do you have it up? What What is it now offensively yeah, uh, this year? I, I'm flipping back to the page and cleaning the glass because I was just I was looking at the three point rates for the. They are the tenth season. in the NBA in offense so yeah. far this season. Fourth in effective field goal percentage. They have not turned the ball over much. They don't get any rebounds and they don't really get to the free throw line. I have this as not real, Chris, because Kyle Kuzma has never shot the ball this well while also limiting his turnovers he's never even been the primary creator on a team until this year and somehow he's playing the best basketball of his life doing it i need to see more to to trust that they're also not really getting uh kuzma himself you know not really creating the team is not getting a lot of threes easy points things like that you don't feel great about it they don't get free throws they don't get putbacks the threes aren't going in but One thing I do love that I want to give some positivity to, Denny Avdia, very solid start to the year and is on Mm -hmm. my kind of short list in the back of my mind as we make our way through the first month of the year of like, if he's available, contending teams should have him, you know, Mm. have a scout in Washington, you know, because he just signed that extension. I'm not sure how uh, that, I don't think he can maybe be traded in season now, but um, certainly somebody that I would want to, pursue as a team guy on a great team so he he has stood out to me but other than that i don't trust it i don't either uh this is with like jordan pool just kind of being jordan pool like 31 percent from three 35 percent on corner threes doing well at the rim but not the most like serious offensive player in in any stretch of the imagination the offense just feels like it's running hot right now that can happen good for them the defense is horrendous i don't i find this team highly unwatchable just in every single for, for most every single capacity I, I don't think this is real at all this was this of the ones we had brendan this is the one i had to think the least about all right uh, luca let's go to luca so is this finally the great luca shooting season we've been waiting for you threw this in there 42 percent on 10 three-point attempts for game so far brendan i'm gonna say yes I have been in love every single minute I've watched Luca this year. I've never felt like I've seen him as dialed in. I feel like this could be both like the Luca shooting season and the Luca MVP season. I, an MVP for Luca if the Mavs play pretty well and all that stuff. I think that feels very much in the cards based on what we've seen from him so far. He has been absolutely killer um, as an offensive creator this year in, in every single way you could want. I'm buying this as real. I think it. I think this might be the Luca level up here. I think the Mavs are going to fall off a little bit because their defense is still bad. 
Um, yes. yes. However, I like what I'm seeing. I like that they're playing the young guys, run, rolling with the growing pains that those players are inevitably going to have between Green and Hardy and Lively. Gotten some good stuff out of the vets that they brought in, like Exum and Derek Jones. But as far as Luca's shooting specifically, I don't buy it. I think it's not real. He's mm. taking triple, triple. This is interesting. There's a lot of interesting trends within the shooting. That's part of why I wanted to talk about it. Three times as many catch-and-shoot attempts per game so far in the early season as he had last year. He's shooting greater than 50% from three after passes directly from Kyrie. So that connection and Luka making those threes when Kyrie creates them is working. Kyrie's assisting Luka so far this season almost one time per game. However... All of that would make you think I'm going to say it is real. Luca is making an unsustainable 45% on pull-up threes this season. That's that's the number. If you yeah, he's been the in the low to mid 30s his whole career. Mm-hmm. I uh, I hear you. I think he has looked better physically. I think his defense has been more intense. It feels like he's playing and living well off of the youth and energy around him, but that doesn't mean he's going to make more threes than he ever has pulling up from deep. So I think that is where it falls off for me. And I just think you're talking about better than hardened seasons with that type of number, you know, like it's Steph. Can I, can I, can I I just play devil's advocate? Let me play devil's advocate for one second. Is Luca's ceiling not to be above or at those guys' level? Is that not where Luca could get to as a player? It's not about as a player. I'm saying specifically as a pull-up three-point shooter. Mm. No, I don't think his ceiling is where the two best pull-up three-point shooters in the history of basketball are. No, I don't. Yeah, okay. Okay, that's that's a fair. The one thing I would say about Dallas, if you're looking at them, maybe just like bucking some of this, Kyrie's numbers are not particularly good. Uh, career low effective scoring. Field goal percentage scoring-wise. Effective field goal percentage as low as it's been since year three in the league, shooting 34% from through 29% on our corner through 58% at the rim. And he's at 42% in the mid range. Like his numbers shooting wise are down across the board. I think he shoots a little bit better and maybe that takes the ball to Luca's hands a little bit. Maybe the volume for Luca drops a little bit as a result, he gets better. Maybe they can survive some of the defensive stuff if they just get that path. And that has always kind of been the path for the Mavs to some degree, right? It's that their offense is so overwhelming with those two guys. They can probably overcome some of the other deficiencies and, and ride through some of the, the growing pains. And like, it doesn't help that they got like the annual Maxi Kleba, like, like they're just, this team is, yeah, they're, they're always just going to, it just feels like every year it's like, oh, they're going to miss Maxi Kleba for six weeks for some injury. And then like yeah. they get him back and things look better because like he's weirdly overly important for that roster. Yeah. And he's getting a little older. I don't think he's quite as good as he used to be. I think the defense to me is it has to hinge. It can't be bottom 10. If you're talking about them being a, a conference finals type of team and that's where it is now it's at 23rd. If it's going to be better, it's going to have to be Derek Lively improving dramatically over the course of the season. 
not going to say it can't happen. He's looked awesome. His skill level is way higher than I thought it would be. But same asking a rookie center to anchor a, a good defense is a, is a lot. So uh, I, I, I would say not real on the defense either. That wasn't quite part of our question, but it is part of the Mavs thing. I don't buy that either, but their offense has been awesome. I think Luka has adjusted his style. I think the Kyrie connection is good and they're playing fast. So a lot of good stuff, but still a ways to go. All right. Last one. Scotty Barnes, Starley. This is a topic that I think is worth Again, a bigger discussion about the whole 2021 draft class. I think that draft class is obviously going through growing pains in a lot of ways this year. But Brendan, I'm buying what we're seeing from Scotty Barnes. I'm in a Raptors team that I am having some trouble with and, and I'm kind of not particularly impressed by Have it. Have they hurt you? Time. No, I'm just, oh. you know, I'm just, I, I, I don't look at that. I'm not watching them and thinking, oh, this is like a team that I feel particularly good about right now. But I feel outrageously optimistic about Scotty Barnes. Um, assist percentage. Preach, you've been wanting to talk about Scotty for a while. Give, give me give me what you got. A career high in assist percentage. I think his passing vision has hit this other level. His usage rate has gone up, and he's just kind of ascended into this big lead creator role for this team in a way that has always kind of been the promise of him. You look at his shooting. Um, he's, take, he's not getting to the rim quite as much as you would like, but he's absolutely killing it in certain spots on the floor without maybe getting to the room quite as much as you'd like, but he's being um, more efficient um, in certain spots, particularly in the long mid range, which is a little bit the part of this that I'm a little bit worried about. He's at 69% nice on long mid range shots, which is a number that that's where like the worry for company, but as a creator, as a defensive player in some aspects as well, this guy just looks like he's having the superstar leap. And if the, that guy that the passing vision for him comes out, it gives you clarity on the rest of this roster. It gives you a building block that you can really bank on for Toronto going forward. And it just some of the concerns I had from last year were the, the the scoring, the passing, just the overall play. I felt like wasn't where I expected it to be in year two. It has kind of come back to life in a big way in year three, and he looks awesome. So I'm I'm just all in on the Scotty Barnes leap we're seeing right now. Yeah, I watched him Saturday night against Boston. That was a lopsided game. The Celtics ran away with it, but. I thought his confidence and comfort on offense as a jump shooter was what just I had never seen before. I yeah. think the way that um, it just makes things so much easier when your best player can shoot. I mean, I know that sounds very obvious, but Siakam's not exactly a high-volume three-point shooter, not a super-willing three-point shooter, not really how he's used. OG Ananobi is a good corner three-point shooter, but other than that, not so much. Like They want and need Scotty to be comfortable taking that shot so that he can play on or off the ball, so that he can give it up and get it back. We know that his bread and butter is going to be kind of that high-post, face-up game, attacking mismatches, getting downhill off of off spot-up stuff. But when he's able to take that three um, off the catch, but also running a pick and roll and being willing to, to pull up or pull up from mid-range, it just starts to really open the whole offense for the whole team up, not just for himself. And the defense is still, you know, a lot of Raptors people have pointed out he's guarding more bigger players this season rather than just guards. And that's... I mean, that's always kind of been there. It's just nice to see it happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, he is turning into the kind of two-way physical freak that you would have hoped he was when he was a lottery pick a few years back. And I think a lot of it just has to do with that jump shooting. 
won rookie of the year. He beat he won rookie of the year in a class that I think we're gonna look back on and I still feel very positively about, but he beat Evan Mobley, he beat Kate Cunningham. Like he had a really amazing rookie year and I might not have voted for him. That might not have been my pick, but like I think there's a he was very deserving. And that's kinda to me come back to life in a big way this year. The guarding stuff is also big. And I also just now want Toronto to pick a lane. Like I, I at some point I I what do they do with Siakam? Like, what do you do with Siakam? Like, what are we well, doing? What do you here? do with Siakam? I think your options are trade him or you ride this out and just try to reinforce him. And I think I might looking to, I might have traded him in the summer and I, I might just try to trade him at the deadline and just go all in on your youth and see if you can get back for him. Do you not think he fits with Scotty? I don't think him. I think him, OG, and Scotty all have like a weird amount of overlap, and maybe just one of them needs to go. But Siakam would be probably the biggest name you could move there, even if OG maybe has a more positional kind of inherent value to some other teams who just need that kind of forward, that kind of perimeter defender. But I just think there's inevitably going to be. I think you could just optimize Scotty in a different way if you readjusted this roster a little bit and played a little bit more long-term. And their ages are just in a, in a different spot, right? And you also have the Siakam contract hanging over this. What are you doing as yeah, far as expiring. Siakam's financial future? So it's like I, you have to pick a lane here in some way. And it's either I, – I think clarity for this organization long-term would be a good thing. And it would be a good thing for Scotty in figuring out where he's going to go. If, he could, if they knew where this was going with him a little bit, I think that would be a good thing for him. No thoughts for me. No. I mean, you, you know, I want you know, I would want them to trade Siakam. I just don't. I think he's breaking out anyway. So, I guess I just when you say that I it would be the best thing for him, like he's he's playing amazing basketball with that. So I don't but, think it's necessarily think, holding him back. But no, they would but, get worse if they were to trade some of those players. So I think that the Siakam specifically, it's always just been weird because of how much his next contract could be. And, you know, he he is now not exactly part of your next generation for your team. But aside from him, I don't think it's that huge of a problem. And I do think, like, could they have gotten a better shooting point guard than Dennis Schroeder? Yes. Did they need to do the Jakob Pertl trade? No. But, like, some of that stuff, okay. It's just, I think those decisions are hard. And I think the way that Scotty's played to be able to develop himself into a good shooter makes his fit better with Siakam. I think in the past, when neither one of them was very willing or, or able to knock down threes at a high level, that made it harder. But if Scotty's going to be more comfortable doing that and, and more efficient doing that, then he can play a little bit more on the perimeter. He can have the ball in his hands a little bit more and be a threat to the defense. And Siakam can kind of fill in the gaps around that. So I think their fit has gotten easier because Scotty's broken out. Um, but yeah, I mean, long term, I don't think they should be the team to give Siakam his next contract. However, they've already made a series of decisions that might lead them to having to be or lose him for nothing. And I don't think they want to do that. I think if you could find a good deal for him at the deadline and yeah, but what if they're, what if they're the sixth seed at the deadline? Well, but let me, you're asking them to tank. Let, let, Let me finish. I understand you're could be asking to tank. I fully understand that there's a downside to this, but I think if you look at the long term of where this team is going, this is Scotty's team. This is not about maximizing the now quite as much as it is for some other situations. And I think if you're Scotty and you could look at what he is and you look at what maybe you could get for him, if you could get 
a first, if you could get two firsts, if you could get a, an interesting young player you could develop and trust in your development system, that could be so additive to Scotty beyond right now in a way that I think trying to just not be in the play-in or be a top six seed in the East. I think there's more value in thinking about this, not just right now and saying this year might, we might take a step back this year, but there's value in actually planning out in the future for him if you do this correctly. And it's not a slam dunk. I don't know that the offer is going to be there. We don't know that the offer is going to be there for Siakam. They might. I think there will be offers if they made him available without a doubt. He's a good player. Yes. He's a good player, but there's also the question. His contract situation is like the, the big like mystery to all of this. We don't, like is if someone's trading for me, giving him revalue, they're going to expect to resign him, and like some of that is going to need to get figured out. There's a lot of mystery here, but I think there's a there could be some value. I'm not saying it's a guarantee. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I think there is real potential value in getting to a spot where you could get picks, you could get other assets to play the to build with Scotty and give you flexibility for him. And not just saying, hey, we're 60 this year and Scotty took Lee Ford. I think the future version of that is higher if you're a little more proactive about maybe picking a lane in that direction. That is where my head goes. We'll see. All right. We'll see. I don't that team is fascinating to me. I'm the energy around them is weird. Don't really know what's going on, but yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll see where they end up. All right. Last segment today is going to be waving the flag. I want to tell you really quick, though, about our friends from Homage. Homage is the ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses that uses vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use our link below. Make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. They have tons of NBA stuff, as we said. They have WNBA stuff. Stock them on Christmas gifts. Buyers are something nice. They always have deals as well if you're interested in that. So use our link. Buy yourself or someone you care about something nice at homage. All right, Brandon, let's go on to our last segment. Uh, this is Waving the Flag, where we will talk about every week. We have two teams we have planted our flag on. That is the Orlando Magic. That is the Sacramento Kings. Every week we are going to talk about these teams in some capacity. Let's start with the Kings, Brendan, because I think there there's a little bit less meat on that bone this week because De'Aaron Fox remains out. But they had a really impressive, I think, gutsy win against the Oklahoma City Thunder this week that spoke really well of, I think, the character of that team. Kevin Herter bounced back, I think, is probably the big storyline for them. But they'll get Fox back soon, we would think. But that win, I think, was a needed balm amid a pretty rough stretch for Sacramento. Yeah, I thought Kevin Herter played incredibly in that game. And I thought it was a reminder of if he's going... And they did beat Portland earlier in the week as well. In the Murray Bowl. Impressive. Exactly. I, is Chris even playing? I don't think so. But uh, he blocked. No, he one, blocked uh, his brother in that. He he blocked Keegan oh, in that game. I believe he did play. Yeah, yeah. It just is a reminder of when when Herder is going and the two man game with Sabonis can actually work. Then the half court offense and the offense overall is just a little less scary, even with Fox out of the game. I thought you saw how much pressure it put on the defense right away. And it was, it exposed Josh Giddy a little bit defensively. Giddy was really struggling to chase Herter through those screens and, and kind of read where he was going and, and how to cover the different iterations of different cuts, pin downs, combinations of all of that. When's he getting the ball? When's he giving it up? All the different stuff that Herter makes you be aware of and have your head on a swivel for Giddy wasn't up for and they they changed it about like five six minutes into the first quarter they put Jalen Williams on him 
And Jalen mm-hmm. Williams is, you know, just like a bat out of hell. They <laughs> quickly adjusted that and said, okay, we'll use your aggression aggression against you, brother. Like you're going to try to stay attached to Kevin Herter and come hell or high water. We're going to make you run through stuff where the actual best defense is to switch that. And you're not going to because you're, you know, 22 and we're going to, you know, just throw that in your face and Herder started getting shots off of that. So he just, to me, was was clearly the story of this game. It's been a weird Harrison Barnes season. You would have thought at a time in Harrison Barnes career, put the ball in his hands and, and get some buckets would have been the answer here. That really hasn't been the case. But instead, it's it's just Herder getting right. And I think Malik Monk would be the other kind of big one to talk about i thought i think his kind of adjustment with fox out has been has been very cool to see but it was getting kind of scary with with kevin herter and he seems to have gotten back on track for sure i i just think too that thunder win and the way they did with herter bouncing back i think with everything they're building in that team that win speaks to me well about the character of that team to handle adversity to handle uncomfortability to handle Pretty low moments. I mean, the way they lost to the Rockets is one of the contenders for one of the worst losses of the NBA season, Brendan. Like, that loss was... Twice. They lost to him by a combined 43 points two games in a row. The first one was like, okay, that's just like you don't have Fox. We talked about the Rockets. Like, they're, they're doing some things well. The second one was an absolute shellacking that just was like, oh, this is like an ugly, ugly loss. But you rebound that way against a Thunder team that is absolutely awesome, that is playing great, that has given some really good teams problems this year, took the Warriors to the brink in an in-season tournament game, and you handle them well without your best and most important player. That, to me, speaks so well to that locker room, to that organization, to Mike Brown as a head coach and what he's doing with that team. I, I love just the, the vibe you have around Sacramento right now with that particular group and everything you have going on there. And I love every time we get a glimpse too, Brennan, we get one like once a week where he's just MFing Keegan Murray and we're learning about Keegan Murray and we're learning about their partnership. And we're learning about how they're pushing Keegan Murray. I am all in on all of it because I you can tell Mike Brown is invested in getting the most out of Keegan Murray. You can tell that he is invested in turning Keegan Murray into the best version of himself that they possibly can get him into being and to me that speaks so well of the organization and them understanding that this isn't just about right now that this loss isn't like the end of the world and some of the stuff we've seen in the numbers I'm sure they've also seen are not the end of the world with Fox off the floor they have persisted this Fox is going to be back yeah and they're in a great they're in a great spot there's there's a lot of reason I think still to be optimistic about the Sacramento Kings and feel really good about how they've navigated this stretch even if you look at the numbers you look at the win-loss record it's not the best, but that Thunder win was an exclamation point. It, that that Thunder win was such a rebound and such a reset of the vibes around that Kings team in a way that I, I'm in love with. We need to work with Dylan to put together a graphic of... of when I say the, vibes? No. Why, why would you just think I'm going to trash I, you like that? I No, I'm no, talking about I say vibe, Murray, my lord and savior. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say vibes a lot, though, to be clear. That's like probably my most overused word if I'm going to critique myself. Well, it's 2023. I mean, who doesn't? I think the graphic needs to be the players who have tried and failed to challenge Keegan Murray off of a switch at the basket and gotten their shit slapped to the ground. This is your next TikTok. This is your next TikTok. 
It's There's just, too many of I, them. I think the TikTok time limit would screw me up at this point. Ten, we just need ten, like a, a we need a, a gravestone, a headstone graphic with like Keegan Murray's face on it, and then just a list of names of victims because this, this guy like the, it just like it Gilders Alexander was the latest guy. He's like, oh, Keegan. I mean, I'm like twice as fast as this dude. I'm like twice as, you know, experienced as this guy. I'm a fucking MVP candidate. Watch this. And Shea drives left toward the basket, like third quarter, second, late second, early third, whatever it was. And Keegan's like, no. And it, it doesn't even look hard for him. That's what's funny. It's no, not like he's it making these huge athletic leaping, you know, Zion Williamson at Duke type blocks that are just going to go viral. It's like, just it, it feels like the, the, the guy at the, playground that's like big but not tall that gets underestimated and then all of a sudden he's just like blocking everything and he's only like 510 but he's he's it, i don't know what it is uh last thing to shout out malik monk here mm-hmm. you don't know his assist percentage this season right don't look i'm gonna have no, you I guess <sighs> malik monk. so last season was a career high by 10 percentage points at 25 percent assist rate so on a quarter of possessions when he was in the game, he got an assist last season in his first year with the Kings. I will tell you it is higher than that so far through eight games this year. What is your guess for what it would be? And the turnovers are the same, mind you. Okay. So this is not some fluky where all of a sudden his passes are just finding home more easily. Turnovers are the same, pretty high. It's Malik Monk. Assist is way higher. What's your guess? Number one, that's higher than I would have thought for last year. I was going to guess like twenty-one percent or eighteen percent somewhere mm-hmm. in that eight, in that range. He had been around 35. like fifteen for his first five yeah. seasons, and then last year he they got another yeah. level out of him. This year, I'll let you guess, but it's off the charts. Uh, forty-one point seven percent. Okay, no, it's thirty-eight. But that's insane. Thirty-eight percent assist rate is like you're talking about for, like the best point guards in the NBA. For Malik Monk, who we think, I think pretty understandably think of as like a, a, a bench, like microwave guy. Yeah. The way that he's adjusted his game since coming to Sacramento is huge. And I think you can see in the way that he has been able to alter his approach during this stretch that it, it's it's legit. His, his point or his assist totals with Fox out of the lineup the past four games, seven and then two in the ugly Houston loss, and then 10, and then eight. And again, the turnovers have stayed even. He hasn't had a single game this year where outside of uh, the loss to Golden State where he hasn't had a positive assist to turnover ratio, and most of the time it's been like two or three to one. The two-man game, the pick and roll with Sabonis is very, very good. He just has a feel, and he's so in control going fast, which I do think is is kind of part of working with that offensive coaching staff and playing next to Fox, where they're just used to making decisions and physically staying in control when they're sprinting down the court. And that's something that's just, I think, hard to learn unless you embrace that style. And I, I couldn't be more impressed with him. I think he's somebody that feels incredibly underpaid to me but yeah. who I think they're going to try their hardest to keep because like, I, I, I'm inclined to just say, I know you don't want to start him necessarily because once Fox, it's not a long-term injury for Fox. You just want to keep things pretty stable, but he's their backup point guard. I don't think we need to overthink this. They've been searching for a ball handler. They got one. It's him. 
Yeah, 100 percent. All right. The Orlando Magic, our other team to talk about today as we wrap this up. I just want to start, Brendan, by noting that their game against the Magic in Mexico City was incredible on a ton of levels. They're going to go back. Adam Silver has talked about how they're definitely going back to Mexico City. I thought the environment was great. I thought the end of the game, the competitiveness of that game was incredible. Um, and the I, court, I, the court was awesome. super dope as well. Yeah, it was all much good. better than much better than most of the garbage ass in season courts we've seen. Um, looking at you, Indiana, but. New Orleans, but I'm all in on this Mexico City thing. I'm going to try to watch like some random Capitans games in the G League just to see what that environment's like as like a point of comparison. The guys that have played down there have spoke. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to ask. We're going to do Chris's Capitanes corner in like a month. The season hasn't started, I don't think, for the G League or it just started. Uh, No, give you some time. It started on Friday. Amani Bade's out here dropping absolute buckets in his G League debut. So they have to keep dealing with that hype train. But we will, I want to see what the crowd is like for for that. Is it is it just an NBA thing? Is it also a G League thing? The guys that have played. There I will tell you, really... as somebody who went to a Lucha Libre event in Mexico City and a <laughs> soccer game at the Azteca, that it's going to be fucking great. Yeah, I, I have a hot take. I'm not going to share with. I got. I'll tell you after the fact. I can't say it on the air. I don't want to. I, I need to. Okay. It's, it's, it's a little. It's <laughs> the a little Mexico too, City it's, authorities will come after you. No, no, no. It's too mean to to America to American sports fans. <laughs> okay. Okay. I can't do it. I, right. I'm not going to do this publicly. But the Orlando Magic. Um, defense is really good. Offense is the struggle. I think Markel Fultz and the overall guard play is where I have this issue with it. I think if you watch their guards play, Brendan, they're not really in sync with what Franz and Paolo were able to do. And you often get a lot of situations where Fultz is passing up a good shot and dribbles into a midi or sets up Paolo for a tough shot where he has to create something. It, everything with their guard play, and I think mostly with Fultz, really just feels kind of off right now. And I think they uh, like if they just had better quality kind of set up traditional guard play, I think this team would function a lot better in offense based on based on what we've seen from them so far. Yeah, Fultz is attacking the basket more this year, and I think has turned himself into a very good player. I just think, you know, his ultimate destiny on a team like this might just be as a backup point guard. And there's nothing wrong with that, but to me, he's like a a better TJ McConnell to bring up a guy we already talked about. Somebody who, you know, gets to the basket more than TJ for sure, but is not a three-level scoring threat is not really an aggressive scorer period and primarily brings value as a setup guy, basic initiator, not any sort of crazy passing ability, you know, necessarily. Um, and who defends like hell. And I think that's a, a very valuable player. I think Markel Fultz is on a fine contract. I think all these things can be true together, but the, the fact remains that Markel Fultz, when he is off the court, the magic offense is five points better per hundred possessions. That's their starting point guard. That doesn't work. No. So far this year, and they just are coming off of a, of a win over the Bucks, um, which was pretty impressive and goes back to the, the Bucks conversation we were having. But the starting lineup so far with Anthony Black in place of Markel Fultz is, let's see here, I believe it was two points better per 100 possessions when I looked at it last. I don't know if those are the most current numbers, but these are all indications that he is holding them back. And I think that sucks to say, you know, the, the full story is a good one, but at a certain point, you have to do what's in the best interest of the team. You have to be willing to disrupt stuff. And 
to your point, this team late in games, the ball is in Paolo's hands or it's in Franz's hands. If you can't play off of that, if you muck that up, mm-hmm. you can't be on the court in those situations. No matter what your contract is, no matter when you were drafted, where you were drafted, your relationship with anybody, this team is ahead of schedule. This team is winning. That's why we picked them this year. And you have to move the chess pieces in such a way where you have the 12th net rating in the NBA and you're 5-4. and four. Take that to the moon. Markel Fultz is not going to develop more than this, in my opinion. I mean, he's been in the league since 2017. I don't exactly think you're, you're milking that much more than, than what it's been milked. Try Anthony Black to close games. Put Gary Harris in there. Put Joe Ingles in there. Get the best lineups on the court when you need them to be on the court. And you're just seeing what happens when you're going against a Trey Young offense. That guy's going to get a good shot on every single late game situation. The Magic are not. And and that's part of why they struggled to close out that game. You know who would be a good trade option for this team, Brendan? I think. Who? Member of the top 10 offense, Washington Wizards, Tyus Jones. Yeah, it seems like Tyus Jones wants to be a starter and wants to be paid like one. So they would have to kind of be ready to, to, to make that payment. And that's kind of the other part of this is drafting so high for so long. They're going to have to kind of clear the books and reevaluate who, who's going to be making money here. But I don't hate it. I would prefer size. I think they want size at every position. To me, I, the answer is just, I, it might just be Anthony Black. Like, they might need somebody to be a stopgap, but I think long-term, we've seen enough from Anthony Black already as somebody who can play with or without the ball and brings a lot of size and defensive energy and turnover creation that, I mean, I don't think he's necessarily going to be starting on a title team in two years, but I think he's the answer. I mean, I, I think you plan like he's the answer. Yeah, I like that. And he's... You look at his numbers so far this year. You look at how he's played. I think there's, there's he's running a little bit hot as a shooter. 50% from three is a really good number for him over seven games. But I think the feel, I think the size, I think all of that has translated in, in a pretty impressive way. So I'm with you on that. And I think I think they have there is a balancing act for them in terms of trying to maximize what is clearly a, some burgeoning star potential with the fact that you are still kind of skewing on the younger side with your star guys. I mean, but with this particular decision, going more toward black would be embracing the youth. It feels like they're kind of, they're kind of committed to Fultz in a way that I don't fully understand. And then Suggs would be the other one. And I think he does. He is the in-between. That's a little awkward. Who do you, who do you have more faith in uh, Fultz or, or Suggs? In what way? Just, However you want to answer that question. I don't want to define the parameters of an open-ended question. Well, I think they're both good. I mean, but, I think, I think everybody in, on this team is okay, a who, good NBA player in the rotation. That's kind of the discussion okay, is like, okay, who are you fits trying better to with win Franz and or are you trying to score? Mm. Who fits better long-term if you're building with Franz and Paolo? Who do you trust more to be someone that can be a part of that dynamic duo and that partnership? I think it might be Suggs. I think it's Suggs because... I kind of feel like there's things he does that are less replicable and you can see him fitting in to an off-ball role more easily. Yes. Even if his shooting is not much better than Fultz's at the end of the day, it's like he they use him as a screener. He's a great transition creator. 
he is more physical and versatile defensively. So it just sort of maps out a little bit more easily. I'd like to see them close games with Black and Suggs. And I mean, I, I mean, I'd like to see them close games without a center and try Paolo at the five and, and add another wing into, into some of that. Like, it just feels like they're not, they're not flipping the switch toward like, let's hit the gas. I know I just used two metaphors in a row there, but like, they're not, they're not embracing what they are as much as I think that they need to. So I'm open to anything, but rolling out the guys who just happen to be starting the game and saying that's who we're going to close with just because it's holding them back. I mean, it is. I think there's no way around that. Yeah, I, I am absolutely with that. I am with the idea that they, I, I think this is still a point where I, I agree with you. I'd like to see them experiment. Palo at the five is worth a longer look than I think we've seen so far. Just more of it in high-pressure situations to me is something I'd really want to see. And without Jonathan Isaac on the court, that's one of the they've, – they've, like, kind of, like, half halfway gone to Paolo at the five where they're like, we're going to have Isaac out there and Paolo so that there's a little bit of insulation for him. Like, just try it. I mean, might as well. If Team USA is willing to, <laughs> to try it out, like, you got to. You're Orlando. Yeah. What do you have true. to lose? That's right. We're going to end there. I'm Chris Manning. That is Burning Clean. This has been the Just Basketball Show. You're twice weekly NBA, WNBA, Women's College of Basketball, everything podcast. Back at you later this week with another episode diving into all things NBA, specifically this week. Talk to you then. Have a great week. Enjoy the hoops.